0: We acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land throughout Australia on which we are recording. We pay respect to Elders past, present and emerging. Hello and welcome to the Doyen Interviews, the podcast that speaks to inspiring women from the art, architecture and design world. I'm Bridget Nathan and I'm glad you've tuned in. Thank you also to Anon for the beautiful introductory music.
1: It's not an either-or situation, you know? You can be feminine and strong. We're all very dynamic and complex and multifaceted humans and <laughs> just um, just embracing the combination of all of those qualities and it just really goes back to people feeling like they can be whoever they are.
0: Welcome to the next episode of the Doyen Interviews. Today we're lucky to be sitting down with one of my absolute idols, Julia Gamalina. Amongst other things, Julia is the founder of Madam Architect, an online magazine that is taking the architectural world by storm. This episode is particularly special to me because Madam Architect can be attributed as setting up a platform for women in architecture like no other. Particularly as Julia is a designer herself, The publication was the first of its kind to exclusively promote women in the profession. It's had a huge influence on my own development. So, what is Madam Architect and what's it all about? We will discuss this in depth in the interview, but to give you a summary, Madam Architect highlights the work of women in the built environment. Her platform shares stories in a number of formats, and the graphics and user experience draw you into these conversations to the point that you may feel like you are in the room too. What also draws me to Madam Architect, however, is the underlying support for women's rights that is achieved through the promotion of women from so many backgrounds on a global scale. When we talk about women's rights, we know that this applies to the issues that we're all familiar with, such as lower pay rates, higher domestic duties, and even more confronting issues such as illiteracy, homelessness, and physical harm. In this episode, however, We talk about some of the other barriers in the physical environment that are stopping women from reaching their full potential. Architecture, women, the city, bodies, space, equality, and access to experiences that reflect all physical needs in this sense move from being an issue of consideration into the space of necessity. Therefore, the work that Julia is doing is aligned strongly with the humanitarian work of organisations such as UN and UNESCO. This episode takes us through the interesting sequence of events that is Julia's career. So, Julia, welcome. Congratulations on everything that you achieved. And thank you for joining us today. It would be great if you could introduce yourself
1: and discuss a little bit about your career. Hey, me too. I'm really glad as well. Thank you for for saying all that. I think my career has really evolved, sort of in three phases and on two parallel tracks, just from the time I graduated architecture school to you know today when we're speaking. Um, in terms of professional background, so. The the two tracks that I just mentioned, one is very much seeped into in professional practice, um, just working at firms. And, you know, the second track is obviously the the journey with Madam Architect. Um, But just looking at professional practice first, um, I mean, I studied architecture. um, You know, I did a five year accredited degree. Um, so trained as an architect, and then um, the three phases that I mentioned are such that I worked in design first, and then sort of transitioned and pivoted into communications and business development, um, and things like this. And now I'm, I am on the strategy side. And strategy is, you know, it's really a word to com- encompass, I think, all of those experiences, you know, the design side, the business development side, and, and also some of the skills um, from just being a founder with Madam Architect. Um, but just to take you through it in a little more detail, when I first graduated, I worked in design, I would say, for the first four years, and that was for a number of firms in the city, um, uh, kind of the smaller boutique firms focusing either on high-rise developments or um, or workplace design, but very much rooted in the city um, and I got to know the urban environment very well in this way and the market and, you know, how buildings get made here and, you know, who the clients are, things like this. And then a few years into being a designer, I just knew the whole time that anytime I would spend a whole day drafting, I just really didn't feel like myself. Um, That was kind of the first big clue in that maybe I should try something else. I don't know what it was. I just wasn't as engaged as I could have been. And it certainly wasn't for, you know, the subject matter that I was in. I mean, I loved architecture and the built environment and the city and all of the people involved in it. And I loved getting to know all of those people, but somehow the things that I was doing day to day and all day, um, weren't quite, weren't, didn't seem quite right. Um, and at first I didn't really know that that's what that meant or what I could do with it. Um, But thankfully, I was at a firm that had brought on this amazing director of communications, Aurelia Rauch. um, She's a German art historian um, and handled, you know, all kinds of press and media relations. And I remember just being so fascinated by her, not necessarily what she did for this company, but just in general, who she was and and you know how she was with people. And I just really wanted to spend some time with her and absorb all of that as much as possible. And so I offered to help her out with some of the communications things that she was involved in. And, and I did, um, you know, got to help with social media and press releases and some research on media outlets and sort of how to tell the story around a project, which was super, super interesting. And I had actually been craving to do some more writing in my work um, that's something I always did a lot of and not so much when you know entering professional practice and being a designer um, so once I realized that I could really engage writing in a really significant way both in my career at large and day-to-day I wanted to focus on it full time um, But, you know, that's that's tricky to sometimes do at a smaller firm just because, you know, if you're if you're doing communications work full time, you're completely overhead, meaning that, you know, no client gets billed for your work. It's it's all on the firm. Um, And so unfortunately, I couldn't do that role full time at the firm I was at. And so I ended up um, switching and trying a firm and kind of saw the trifecta of communications, marketing and business development. And after having spent some time doing that, I realized that this business development aspect was super interesting at that point in my career, because through business development, um, you just really see the entirety of the industry. I mean, you, you see where the money is going. You see who, um, who sort of the key players are in which sector in um, which you know, place in the United States, all of that. And I thought it would be a really, really good background to have to sort of focus on this research component. So I went to a firm called FX Collaborative to do that. And that's also really when Madam Architects started to grow. And then once I sort of, you know, built up this area of expertise um, in business development and also then with publishing these interviews week after week, um, that's when Trahan Architects found me and, you know, proposed this strategy role, um, which I then, you know, took on very enthusiastically. And that's kind of what I've been doing for the last six months. Wow, amazing. Um,
0: yeah, Trahan seemed to do some really, really great stuff i had a look online they've got some really beautiful ephemeral images um of some of the projects that they've worked on
1: yes yes um very, very, very timeless work, very, very carefully crafted and curated. Um, I mean, the firm is, is pretty small and I think kept small on purpose just so that we can be very careful about the designers that we bring on and, um, you know, just just the output that gets produced. Um, but no, I was, to be honest, when Trahan first approached me, I didn't know about them, which is part of the reason they reached out to me. You know, it's, um, they, they really um, felt that they needed to have a greater presence in the United States, on the East Coast, and then in the world in general to really um you know continue doing this beautiful work
0: yeah um well i can't wait to see um how the practice develops and what is produced in the future i'd love to hear more as well about madame architect um here we go if you could share a little bit about how it developed and what it is today
1: Sure, sure. Yeah. So we've been referring to it most recently as a, as an online magazine, just because of, you know, we, we have so much content on it now that it seems silly to be, you know, to be anything but, um but it's an online magazine sort of by, for, and about the women that shape our world. Um, So it started as, you know, just being interviews with with women that were really advancing the practice of architecture and were doing some really significant and interesting and unique things. Um, And now, in addition to those feature interviews, which are still the core, the core of the publication, you know, we have a Days With column where, you know, we zoom in, um, whereas, you know, the feature interviews are kind of these broader looks at a woman's career and a career in her entirety. Um, The Days With pieces are really really meant to showcase how these architects and these designers and these other professionals are managing everything and incorporating everything on a, you know, on this, at the scale of 24 hours, um, which is tough to do. They're the, you know, the people we've spoken to their, they're out their days tend to be very, very packed, but we launched, you know, another new vertical called the expert where women get to write about their work, which is also something that, um, women tend to do less than men and particularly women in, in architecture. Um, so that's meant for that. We started a new column called the Strategy. Strategist, which is written by you know a peer of mine in sort of the strategy business development realm, Eben Falconer, um, and that's meant to just be advice for um, especially for those that have started their own businesses. I think a lot of women that we interview are women that have their own firms, and a lot of women that are a little bit younger, so um, that have recently started running their own firms. And we see this as another way to support um, you know people in the industry and women in the industry specifically. And we're launching a couple of new things. Uh, a couple of new things soon we we've we've decided to hold off a little bit just based on everything that's going on and the shift in conversation but um no it's it's a full-blown publication now which is really really exciting
0: yeah it's um there's so much amazing information on madam architect how did you start it um where did the idea come from and yeah what was this sort of um impetus behind this project
1: Sure. It um, No light bulb moment. If you had told me, you know, five years ago that this would exist in the world and that I would be a part of it and then sort of running it, I would have laughed in your face. I mean, it evolved so, so naturally and so organically. Um, And it goes, I mean, it goes way back, I I think. I mean, the root of it all is really, I think my number of, or a few of my experiences emigrating. Um, You know, I I was born in Russia originally, and then we moved as a family to to Canada, to Toronto. And then again, when I was in high school, we moved to Colorado and sort of starting all over um, twice. And then again, you know, when I went off to college, I think I just always had to be really proactive in seeking out guidance and, and, you know, Looking for and creating friendships and relationships to just like be able to start over um, and build a new life as easily as possible. And so that's, you know, that wanting to talk to people and getting to know how they got to where they are and just um, all of that, that was kind of seeped into me very, very early. Um, sort of natural qualities And then you know when I and when I was going through you know Im- immigrating two times, my mom sat me down once and basically said like you know Julia, I can support you. In a lot of ways, but I'm also new to these countries. You know, I don't know how to apply to a college in the United States. I've never written a cover letter in English here. Um, there's just some things that are, you know, related to the professional and academic realm that I that I don't know, and that you're going to have to ask other people about. And so, I always had relationships with um, with my teachers, with, with women, where I would ask them, you know, questions just in general about life and and sort of um, and mentorship. And so, and that lasted all through college. Um, but when I graduated and started working as a designer in, in architecture, I realized that so that built-in system of guidance that you get when you're a student with the professors around you, that really didn't exist anymore. And, and again, I was new to a city. I was, you know, I had moved to New York right after I graduated. A lot of my girlfriends, you know, had moved to other cities in the United States and, and beyond. And so I was looking to make new friends. And also I was looking to, you know, get some guidance for my career and just started seeking women out. Um, and through this, thankfully, a professor of mine, I mean, so many seeds get planted by our professors. It's uh, they're one of the most valuable you know, relationships we can have. So I encourage everyone to really pay attention to all these different projects that our professors have going on. Um, but one of my professors in the New York studio, her name is Nina Friedman. She founded an organization called Architects with Laurie Brown, a professor at Syracuse. And this was a not-for-profit, really meant to bridge the gap between the academy and practice, and especially for women. Um, And they would host these wonderful networking happy hours and also these really, really wonderful mentorship sessions that were at the home of Sandra McKee. Um, And these were really, really intimate gatherings. You know, they were at someone's home in their living room. Um, It would be usually a small group that attends. And through both the, the happy hours, and these mentorship sessions, I ended up meeting a few women who I just found really fascinating and energizing. And eventually I started talking to them and had developed a mentorship relationship with them. And finally, I thought, you know, I get so much out of the conversations I have with these people. Um, and I know I'm not the only young woman in the field who has questions like I do. Um, And so I realized, you know, I have to share this. I have to share all of this information. And it would also be amazing to share, you know, these women's lives and stories. And so, uh, you know, Architects had a journal at the time, an online journal with an editor-in-chief, Sarah Rafson. And so I went to Sarah one day and said, hey, can I do an interview for the blog? And she said yes. And I had done four, you know, over the course of like two years or something. Um, You know, it was very extracurricular. I was doing it in the off hours when I could find some time. Um, But then eventually you know, these interviews had gotten good responses. And so we had the idea um, to do a whole lineup, a whole guest editorship series where I would curate a lineup of 16 women and, you know, publish these interviews regularly. So we did that or I did that. And, uh, you know, that completely took off and it just got such a great reaction. And, you know, one of my girlfriends, Erin Gensler, texted me and said, like, I look forward to every Thursday now, like Thursdays are the best days of the week because I would publish the interviews on Thursdays. And so, once the series was sort of coming to an end, But I saw all the momentum behind it. I thought, you know, I can't end this. Like, I don't want to end it. I'm having so much fun and I'm getting so so much out of, you know, talking to these people, you know, editing the interviews, sort of reliving the conversations and then also sharing them and seeing, you know, the response and other people's thoughts that I just knew it had to keep going. And so then I decided to launch Madam Architect as its own website, its own platform. Um, And we've kept up the interviews, you know, one a week ever since. So we started with a guest editorship, publishing interviews every week in January. 2018. And here we are, you know, I don't know how many weeks later, but a significant number of weeks later still, still publishing.
0: Yeah. And it's so, so exciting. Um, There's just so many women to speak to um, in the built environment and in architecture and, and in design.
1: Exactly. That's really the thing is like pe- people have asked me a few times if I'm going to stop. And I keep thinking, like, how can I possibly stop? Like, not only are there so many stories still to be told, but there's other women, literally like women being born <laughs> and, you know, women entering architecture school, like supply will not run out. I guarantee you. And um, so, so we, we want to keep going for sure.
0: Yeah, well, I definitely hope that you do. Um, This is probably an obvious question, but I'm interested to hear about what you thought about architecture and design before Madam Architect started. Um, How has it changed your life and how has this new addition to the way that you view um, and experience architecture changed what you think about the profession as a whole? Um, I've had a lot of questions in my own outlook in terms of, Whether interviewing women in this way is activism or advocacy? And I'm still figuring out the answer to that question, but I'm interested to hear your thoughts. Do you think that what you're doing is a form of activism?
1: Yeah, for sure. It definitely changed me. I would say, you know, people have referred to me as an activist um, and an advocate, certainly way before I I even thought of it or would refer myself uh, to myself as such. Um, I would say, I would say I'm definitely an activist and you're definitely an activist because, you know, an activist is just like a really vigorous advocate of a cause. And our cause is, is that women, um, you know, should and do, should have just as much opportunity in these fields and do have a lot of influence in these fields and continuing to reiterate that as certainly, you know, advocating a cause, um, you know, the cause being sort of women and women's rights and and women's empowerment and celebrating their contributions and, and all of that. Um, so I think you are too, you know, I, there's some people that are, that are known for being, you know, political activists and, and I think activism is like part of what we do and part of our identity, um, maybe in a different way than, than, you know, than some others that we know, but, um, I, th- I think we're certainly activists and, and a lot of women that are, you know, the, the people that decide to do a Madam Architect interview are in some ways activists um, because again, they're, they're participating and sort of in, in advancing the cause. But has it changed me talking to these women? Absolutely. I, I feel like I'm getting, you know, like a a whole new degree in feminism and, <laughs> and sort of just all these social issues since, I mean, I, um, yeah, I always, I think I lived the experience of a woman in the field but I had never really examined it beyond myself or or beyond just my own experience of it. I never examined, before Madam Architect, I don't think I examined it as a collective cause or a collective issue before. Um, But since, you know... I don't know, a Madam Architect, and what it's become is so beyond, you know, just me or or just women in a certain firm. It's really like a, a huge global. It's tapped into something really global. But no, I feel like I'm getting so many different degrees <laughs> through through doing this work and having all of these conversations that um, I'm, I'm certainly not the same person that I was, you know, two years ago, or even five years ago, or seven years ago when I was just starting in the industry.
0: Yes, and I guess this idea of the global movement expands out from One Voice so drastically when you start to consider women in STEM, access to education, job security, women's rights internationally and locally. And one of the things that I love about Madam Architects is that it takes a global perspective and frames it in a really engaging format. Um, I think because you... a designer and you are trained in architecture you have an eye for visuals which really comes across in this concept of bringing the whole story of madame architect together which is something i find is central to architecture and design of any medium whether it be buildings audio photography fashion crafting objects or crafting conversations all of which are really quite important to what we do mainly however what i love about madam architect is that it shares the feminine experience which is something that is an omission in history i'm still trying to understand how this happened and what it means for us in 2020 but as sort of an expert in this field i'm really interested to hear about your thoughts on femininity and what it means to you to be a woman in this field
1: Yeah. Yeah. I really, really appreciate this question just because I feel like so often women are encouraged to suppress their femininity in order to be, you know, taken seriously or be empowered. And I don't think it's about that at all. I don't think it's about suppressing any of it. I think it's in fact embracing it and, you know, being very proud of it and just, just being who you are and being very confident about that. And so, um, yeah, I don't think in order to be feminist or a feminist, you have to be any less feminine or let go of any part of your femininity. And I actually had a discussion with somebody, um, you know, almost two two years ago, where I was saying um, just because I've taken on some of these causes that are typically considered feminist does not mean that I'm completely discarding anything that I've ever wanted that is con- considered to be traditionally feminine. And for example, like I would still love to have a family. I would still love to have children. You know what I mean? I still love the color pink. Like, <laughs> and you know, the wing. The wing actually talked a lot about that. You know, they said that we really we very much wanted pink to be a big part of the brand. Aesthetic, because um, you know we don't feel like we have to you know edit that out of our lives just because it's so associated with something feminine. I mean, in other ways, pink is associated with warmth, with calm, um, and with all these great qualities. If anything, pink should be incorporated into our lives much more. And I'm very feminine, I think, um, and uh, I've, I don't think I've ever really felt that that was in any way um, that that it, that in any way held me back from anything. Um, yeah, I I think any qualities that are feminine qualities are really amazing qualities and often associated with just being very nurturing and and you know for obvious reasons I mean women bear the children and women have historically been the really the ones to nurture and raise the children and um and there's so much strength in that and, you know, so much commitment in that. And, um, you know, these are all qualities to be highlighted and celebrated and definitely put to use. And, and the other thing I want to say too, is that, you know, I feel like some of the qualities associated with doing well professionally or being powerful, um, it's not an either or situation, you know, you can be feminine and strong. You can be very considerate and also very confident and, I would just I would I think in all of these discussions again that I've had and all these thoughts I had about femininity really it's about acknowledging that we're all very dynamic and complex and multifaceted humans and just um just embracing the combination of all of those qualities it just it just really goes back to people feeling like they can be whoever they are
0: yeah and I guess a follow-on discussion from that is starting to think about how the environments that we live in um potentially don't always acknowledge the historical value or the um, achievements of women through time. Um, and sometimes I think that the environments that we live and we work in were not always designed for everyone. Um, for example, at work I've often had the situation where I'm quite cold <laughs> um, and uh, I just feel like sometimes the feminine I mean, it's great that we're walking down the path of being really universal um, in design in terms of providing access to everyone, but my personal opinion is I feel that this idea of the feminine has kind of been skipped over, Um, and whilst gender is a spectrum and being feminine doesn't necessarily mean that you were born a woman and likewise for a man, Um, There are differences, physical differences, between people who have male and female hormones. Um, So I'm interested to hear your thoughts on that kind of a discussion and what you think workplaces um, are facing and made of in regard to providing environments that are suitable for women.
1: Yeah, no, of course, of course, 100%. uh, So many things have been skipped over and sort of repressed in, you know, in the recording of history and in all kinds of ways. And I mean, again, the wing, um, they used to talk about this a lot where all of their furniture, their ergonomics were designed with women in mind. And that is because typically, you know, the workplaces we know it today, it was, you know, things were being designed in the 60s when it was like the age of madmen, and most of the people that were working were men. And so even from things like the room temperature, you know, the room temperature at offices, um, Um, the standard is to fit you know the comfortable temperature for a man in a suit not you know for women in this you know in the summer in the summer for example in the summer dress or things like this yeah and so i just i think so many things need to be reworked um to, to better fit society as it is today. And, you know, people are talking about the post-COVID world in terms of office spaces and, you know, do we need to go back to work? Um, is flex work going to be more prominent? Things like this. But I think we also need to consider all of the other standards that were in place that have to do with all kinds of, you know, other elements, not just, you know, public health and social distancing and things like this. But how about, you know, when when half of your company or when more than half of your company is female based, like, how, how are offices, how do offices need to be redesigned to better accommodate that? And I think offices have started to do that with, um, lactation rooms and mother's rooms and things like this, but you can't stop there. You know, there's a lot of other things we need to reintegrate. And the other thing about that too is really interesting is that it used to be that, you know, men worked and women stayed in the home. And so, um, men's, you know, things like, Preparing meals, like laundry, all of that men didn't have to do, uh, very unfortunately, because it got done by somebody else. Now – People are staying single longer and having to do all of these things themselves, you know, cook for themselves, do their own laundry, run their own errands. I mean, unless you're, you know, at a certain level of privilege when you can outsource those things, but a tip, you know, certainly when I was, and still um, I'm a young professional in New York City, a very expensive place to live. Like I don't have the means to outsource a lot of these things. Um, And so it's, it's part of that too. It's just like this very rigid nine to five structure that used to work when we were in a certain Patriarchal society and women stayed in the home. Maybe was appropriate. I mean, I don't think it was ever appropriate, but you know, maybe fit as society it functioned and and for what society maybe set up as the ideal at the time. But now everyone's working. People are staying single longer. You know, you have households where both the man and the woman work. You have households where two women work you have households where two men work and you know how does and that's why I think there's a really wonderful conversation now and gaining more and more more, more momentum and more urgency about you know fathers contributing to child care and you know cooking and washing dishes and all these things like everyone's doing everything now and and the, the bigger conversation about that too is that now that women are working they're and they're still raising children it's like they have two huge jobs you know and that's why um you know, child care can't only be um, a female thing or a mother thing anymore. You know, fathers have to participate just as much just because, again, we are all now sort of working and contributing to society and in ways beyond, you know, the reproduction and production of humans. So there's so much wrapped into it.
0: Yes. And again, I guess what you're talking about is how these comments relate so broadly to society um, and to life in cities. And this general questioning of social constructs, which has been a very global topic for quite a while. However, with the recent um, pandemic, I feel that the concept of roles um, has really been shaken up Um
1: Oh, oh my gosh. In so many ways, a hundred percent. Yeah. Oh gosh. In in so many ways, so many ways, just uh, with things related to women, with things related to the workplace and with things related to, you know, city life. um, I I can't even, (laughs) we'll need a whole different episode for that.
0: So when you think about the experiences of people that you've met um, and featured and interviewed through Madam Architect, what are some of the common themes that Continually come up. Um, are there central themes that you find are reoccurring um, across generations, um, or are there comments that people make that, um, yeah, that that are, that are repeated? Yeah.
1: No. There have been there have been many, um, and some of them are very universal and kind of all, everyone I've spoken to touches on some things to some extent. And some of them are very varied with age and, you know, a phase in people's careers. But I would say the number one thing is no one wants to be known as a woman. People want to be known, you know, as, as the expert in whatever field or focus they're in. And that's why actually we launched the expert column. It's because, you know, people want to be known more as being a woman in a, in a field. They want to be known as an architect and not only as an architect, but as a formidable architect, you know, as a very, um, as an extraordinary architect, um, and, or, or a CFO or a CEO. So that's been, that's kind of been the main underlying current of all These interviews is, um, you know, I never ask women to talk about what their experience as a woman in the field is because we know what it's like. And also, it's a little bit redundant. It's just like we will know what that experience is just by learning about you and your life and the things you've gone through. Um, So, that's kind of one big theme and underlying current. The other is this idea of flexibility. And it does particularly come up when we talk about childcare. You know, I can't tell you the amount of women who. I've talked to who are founders who have their own businesses, and the reason they have those businesses, or like the timing of founding those businesses, was such that that's also when they were having their first child. That's been very, very, very common, and it is because they were looking for some of that flexibility that they couldn't get in an office. Um, and I think just more and more, like like you talked about, you know, we're now in 2020, we really need to be revisiting some things. I don't think child, I mean, childcare is a huge part of people's lives and for sure there needs to be better flexibility surrounding that. But I think there's other things too in in people's lives and extracurriculars and, you know, no matter if you're a man or a woman, um, you know, there just needs to be better flexibility all around for, for people to pursue things that make them a whole human and not just a worker. Um, that's another big theme. What else people, you know, people, Mentorship and seeing role models is really important to a lot of people. It's, it's been really sad to hear some of the women I've interviewed that are further along in their careers talk about how they didn't really have anyone out there to look up to or, um, you know, to guide them forward. You know, there weren't mentors, there weren't female role models in the industry. And it's been a lonely ride in that way for them. And also not even, not even women I've spoken to maybe that are further in their careers and you know, at the time when they were starting their careers, there wasn't anyone around. But women now that have some of these more untraditional careers um, and paths where they're doing a lot of different things, you know, myself included, they're finding that there aren't enough role models for that, for people that have done Things differently or are pursuing some of these more unique trajectories. And so that's kind of, you know, our, our lineup is very curated um, and in a very specific way. And we do try to find some of those stories that are quote unquote untraditional or, you know, alternative or whatever, whatever they're being called, um, just so that people can see that, you know, all of these different interests that they have and focuses, they can find a way to combine those and create something completely new with the industry. Um, and that's been important for us.
0: Um, I'm also interested to know about how you approach it and how Madam Architect um, works on a day-to-day basis with your schedule. Um, I'm sure there are many different ways that you're conducting interviews and um I'm sure it's developed as well over the last couple of years
1: if you had if you ask me like how do you fit this in I mean (laughs) it's in all kinds of ways right like some days it's like I said it's in the morning some days it's over my lunch break some days it's um you know in the evening sometimes it's at night like you know this this past week just based on some of the new things we've the statements we've made I mean I would stay up until like 4 a.m fretting or you know preparing it so that happens too not often but sometimes it does. But the good news now, now that I've been doing it, you know, for over two years and it, you know, it really started way back in 2015 when I first started editing interviews is I've gotten pretty fast, just like, at everything and fast and also organized because you know what's coming at you. Like you understand how long things take, you know, the amount of email correspondence that I can anticipate. And, and also it's funny I've learned to expect um, influxes of things. Like I know if a certain thing is happening, if a certain conversation is happening in the media and Madam Architect is a part of it, like there's just going to be an influx of emails. And so I double, you know, my projected email amount, (laughs) for a week of that I spend on, you know, responding to things. And so, yeah, I've gotten a lot faster at some tasks, you know, editing and transcribing in particular. Um, I've been, you know, I've gotten good at expecting what's going to come at me and what I'll, I'll need to deal with, um, in the coming week and month or whatever that is. I've also gotten some help. It's not just me on my own now with Madam Architect. I have three amazing editors, um, Amy Stone, Caitlin Dashiell and Gail Kutat that, that help me. So that's been really, really great. Um, and and also the nice thing about Madam Architect too is now that women that I feature on the on the platform are doing some of their own writing, that's also a really great thing too, is you're able to continue to engage in the conversation and continue to put out content that um that are not that is not necessarily done by me or written by me or edited by me. I mean it's all edited by me. I read every single thing and edit every single thing that, you know, we publish, but um some of the bulk of it comes from comes from other voices.
0: Yeah, and it's always great as well to see and to learn more about what you do through articles that have been written um, and through
1: different opportunities. So I've really enjoyed that. Thank you so much. Yeah. It's so nice that you say that too, especially because I feel like people have asked me recently um, in regards to Madam Architect, like, oh my gosh, you've gotten some press and like, you've gotten some good press. How do you, how did you do that? And I, and it's funny because business development and, and, you know, press is like my job for my, for my, for my full-time job at Trahan. That is part of my goal it's, Some of that and being proactive about it but for madam architect i haven't done any pitching i haven't done any outreach you know to platforms to be like you should really feature us because honestly because i haven't had time (laughs) uh you know it's it's pretty enough for me to just keep the thing running and um to publish these stories myself i you know going out there and and telling others to feature us is just the last thing on my mind. But also I haven't done it because I haven't had to. uh, Things have just come, which I think speaks to just like the power of everything that these women have to say and the, you know, the collection of interviews that we have. I think, um, you know, unknowingly we've tapped onto something, that I think was really missing. I think that's, that's really the the whole thing about all of this is that, um, we created something that just really didn't exist before, um, and, and focused on it in a way that also didn't exist before. I mean, again, the volume of interviews and content that we put out for, you know, being a volunteer run, um, new platform is, is, is significant. And, um, so it's just been really kind of amazing and mind boggling in some ways to see the response to it. And, um, to, it's very flattering too. I mean, when you reached out, I mean, any anytime someone wants to work with us or talk to us, it's it's hugely flattering, and um, and oftentimes there, are, you know, other wonderful people like you, and sort of to be in the same sphere of things is 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 really really wonderful. I guess as well, it's
0: um, another form of networking, which um, I think needs to be reframed, <laughs> um, especially regarding women and um, creating and nurturing opportunities that come from connection
1: yeah I feel like oftentimes networking gets uh, a networking is like a dirty word because people are often encouraged to network to get to a very specific thing or like you know to meet someone that can that can introduce them to something else or, um, you know, it's done with a specific goal in mind that has nothing to do with the actual relationship that you're creating and just getting to know that person. And so I think that's really unfortunate. And that's, you know, relationship building and just getting to know good people and having people around you and being in dialogue with a lot of people is really what it should all be about. And I mean, I network quote unquote and build relationships just because I really like to like my goal in in you know the relationships in my life is to just is to have those relationships you know what I mean I think it's you can smell it from a mile away when someone is approaching you for, for another end goal and not because they're just interested in you what you, you have to say. I mean, it's, it's very, very evident. And, you know, as, as, um, as MetaMarketTech gets bigger and bigger, you know, more and more of those people are showing up in my life that, you know, weren't necessarily there before <laughs> it, it, it received the attention that it's received, which has been really interesting to see. It's just an interesting like psychological situation. Um, but But yeah, I mean, getting to know people should never be – I mean, I think it's a little bit impossible for it to only be about the relationship just because there's other things, you know, other things people want to do. But um, one thing I try to be very careful about is, you know, if I'm walking into, I don't know, a networking event – Usually, I don't think to myself, okay, who can I find that can do something for me? Like, who can I find that can, I don't know, get get the firm I'm with a new project? That's, I mean... I feel like that's that's sort of a naive way of thinking about it because things don't work like that. You don't, you know, things are not such a straight line and you can never control other people in this way. And, um, you know, there's so many things beyond your control. I think walking into a networking meeting, my goal is who can I meet that I really genuinely connect with and like hearing their thoughts and like being around and just if I meet somebody like that and have a really great conversation and leave it feeling wanting to talk to that person more, that is exactly what I'm looking for. Um, and and I think that's actually what makes somebody then a quote unquote successful networker. It's not because they're networking in a transactional way to get to a certain end goal or to want something from a person. I think it's when they like people and genuinely want to hear what people have to say. And you know, it's been the same thing. I mean, that's why I interview women for a living. I just I just like to hear about it. You know, I I don't think madam market would have gone on for as long as it has, and especially for free. I mean, again, we're not monetizing any part of it. We're just doing it. Um, and I don't think that it would have been impossible if we truly didn't like to do this, um, and want to do this and like the people that we were talking to. And um yeah, no, I think I think getting to know people and engaging in conversation should be the end goal. It should not be a stepping stone to something else.
0: Yeah. And it's also quite um quite involved when you think about who you're interviewing and why you're interviewing them and um, that I think also applies more generally to networking. Um, Do you find with Madam Architect that you're really needing to consider um, the backgrounds and the diversity of representation um, of different people that you're interviewing?
1: There is a real responsibility that comes to you know, being the founder of something like Madam Architect, just because of what, of what you said, you know, uh, you have to take so many things into consideration and, and, you know, using your platform responsibly. And I don't know, I like the word using, cause it, you know, uh, there's a connotation, like a transactional connotation with it, but putting your platform, you know, to a place that's responsible and that, um, that takes so many people into consideration and, um, you know, con- considers a lot of different people. I mean, Madam Architect, the premise is a social premise. You know what I mean? It's a political premise, which is that women need to, you know, women and their contributions to the design field need to be celebrated and acknowledged more. Um, that's a, you know, very social consideration and, and, you know, things like race, um, and you know gender and i don't know even like childcare all of those things all come into play on such a social premise and so we do i mean i am trying to be i'm trying to learn as much as i can about some of these issues um in order to then make sure that madam architect responds and proactively is responsible about you know things that we put out into the world
0: yes and uh, there's there's so many things to consider um and I'm just starting to learn about it um, regarding architecture and the media. Um, but I, I'm, I have to say, I've really enjoyed this conversation um, and I am so thankful that we've been able to chat um, during these strange times.
1: Thank you so much. Yeah, well two two things I would to say to that is that the reason that this has been such a free-flowing conversation is so because of you. Like you're just a wonderful natural interviewer. So <laughs> you should take you should definitely take a lot of credit for that. I I mean some people are, you know, there's good interviewers and there's not so good interviewers and you're you're wonderful. <laughs> and so it's been really nice. But also it's funny. A lot of our readership is from Australia. And I think in part, of course, that's because, you know, we both speak the same language. But I think there's also a huge feminist community in Australia. And like the, the you know female empowerment and uh, the movement for that, I think, is really prominent there, more so than I've seen in other countries, you know, English speaking or non-English speaking. And that's been, that's been really interesting to see.
0: Yeah, I think Australia is, um, there are a lot of really strong women who have set stuff up um like Parler, for example um which uh, ha- organizations like that have to me um a really strong basis in um, both surveys and academia um but there there's a, like a lot of small um organizations in yeah women um, organizing alumni groups like there's a I feel like there's a lot of different people coming at um, issues from different angles, which is, yeah, amazing. Um, To finish up, I did have one final question, which was um, do you have any advice for people who are wanting to start um, side projects or passion projects? Um, Having gotten to where you are with Madam Architect, what advice would you give to people who are wanting to, do something
1: of their own? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, no one's asked me that yet, especially relating to it, you know, having a passion project. I would just say, um, make time for it. Just make sure you you, you really commit to it um, and, you know, make time for it on a regular basis. I think repetition and consistency are really, really powerful, um, kind of powerful elements in, in getting traction for something. At least that has been the case with Modern Architect and, you know, a couple of other little projects I've, I've tried before. Um, that's one thing. And The other thing is if the project is coming from you for very genuine reasons, you know, you should never aim to have a passion project just to have a passion project because then it's not a passion project. It's you <laughs> wanting a project. And, uh, you know, so many people want to be founders and start things, but they don't yet know what it is that they want to start. Um, so I would say just be really true to yourself and, in, in what you like. And, um, build something off of that. I mean, I always really liked people and talking to people and I've moved around a bunch and I've interned internationally. And one of my favorite parts of that was always just getting to know the people that were around me. And that has very much led itself to, to Madame Architect. And I think building on something like that, that comes to you naturally and that you really do enjoy, you know, there's a couple of things that come naturally to people, but maybe they don't really like to do it as much find the mix of really believing in something and liking to do it because then you'll, you'll believe the cause and also, you know, make sure you make time to do it because it's actually something you like. Yeah.
0: I think what you're saying is so, so true. And, um, there's a lot of work, hard, hard work that goes on behind the scenes with passion projects. And, um, I think because of the way things are displayed these days, um, on websites and on Instagram, um, you know, you don't always display, um, the grit that's involved. Um, and yeah, I definitely get the sense from Madam Architect that, um, there's so much passion and perseverance going on behind the scenes. Um, but it's just, the information is presented to the public so, um, eloquently, so, yeah like well done on everything that you've achieved i just think it's amazing
1: thank you too and uh, i'm just such a fan i I can't wait to listen to them to the other interviews that you do
0: thanks for joining us this week on the doyen interviews next time We'll be heading to sydney to chat to an architectural photographer katherine lu i hope that you can join us then it's getting out of your comfort zone and making the mistakes and knowing it's okay to take a bad photo to get to a good photo